Hi guys, welcome back. I am welcoming you back to a couple of spaces where this recording will be. One will go up on my YouTube channel as the normal Friday video, but the audio for this will also go up on my newly launched Beyond Body podcast. The reason I want to do that going forward and why you'll now be enjoying this podcast is because there are so many videos that I do which are a bit more long form, which you know include talking to amazing people like our guest today. And I want you to be able to access it in all kinds of areas. When I make recommendations to clients about ways to self-soothe, about ways to stay connected to recovery and the community, podcast comes up a lot. And I used to believe, you know, maybe I was just meant to create recovery content or uh, you know the kind of content that I create on YouTube was just meant to stay there but I have so much to say and so many amazing colleagues who I can talk to and share with you and stories of full recovery and hope that can work across so many different mediums so there'll be videos which are just videos there will be podcast episodes which are just podcast episodes and there will be some which cross over so if you are new here to the podcast or if you're watching this on youtube make sure that you come and subscribe give us a rating so that more people can find what we're talking about there will also already be about six episodes uh, for podcast episodes and youtube videos that i have done previously some with carolyn coston one with my former client monica who shared her story of full recovery and now being pregnant and they're not edited as podcast episodes the intro is just the video intro but i hope that you can go back and enjoy those now in audio form on to today's episode of the podcast or the video that you're watching, <laughs> we're going to be speaking to Carolyn Coston, who has been on the channel before. Carolyn is an expert in the field of eating disorder recovery. She is recovered herself and she is the reason why I'm a coach, why I'm a CCI coach specifically, because she runs the Carolyn Coston Institute where coaches can become accredited to go out and work with clients. So today we're going to be talking about the skill, which in my work as a coach, but also in my my recovery was probably the most powerful tool. It's the reason why it's one of my most successful workshops. It's the reason why it's the first thing that I start to approach with clients is this healthy self, eating disorder self, dialoguing skill. So we're going to go into the history of the skill, how Carolyn came up with it within her own recovery, mind you, without any formal treatment. She didn't have a therapist, a dietitian. She never went inpatient because none of those things really existed. She had to navigate this on her own. And this is one of the skills she came up with, which combined with her education and clinical experience, she's seen over the years how powerful it has been for others as well. And I now have the privilege of seeing how powerful it is with my own clients and workshop attendees. I hope you enjoy our chat. A huge thank you to Carolyn, as always. She will be back. Uh, we love doing these together. Uh, any chance to chat to Carolyn, I will take it, record it or otherwise. <laughs> But enjoy the podcast episode or the video, however you're getting this. Have it both ways. Watch it and then listen to it. Listen to it while you watch it. Just we love the options. We love variety. So thank you so much, guys. And I'll see you next week. So, Carolyn, thank you so much for coming back and chatting to us today. I know our initial chat on the uh, my channel was so well received and people really connected with not just the idea of coaching, but, you know, wanting to be coaches. I had an influx of, of people asking even more questions about some of the stuff that we touched on, particularly some of the healthy self eating disorder self stuff mm -hmm. that we were talking about and that I talk about, but I've never really gone in depth with. And if there's anybody who I would ever want to talk about, about this skill, uh, it would be you because you I've were the done it for so many years. That's right. And it really, um, the reason I love this skill so much is because not only have I observed from a coaching perspective what a difference it makes and that it's the most powerful tool I've ever been able to teach anybody, but when I was going through recovery, I found myself doing this. This is where all my videos came from. I would talk to myself and have this back and forth. So then when I was reading your work, it made, it made total sense, but you put it in a framework which was actionable and accessible for people and all these neat tricks to be able to get this skill going. So if somebody wasn't aware of the healthy self eating disorder self concept and getting those things talking to each other, how would you describe it to somebody? How would you introduce the idea of this concept? Well, first, it depends on who I'm introducing it to, because mm -hmm. I first want to say that when I'm working with clients, as you know, 
I usually wait for them to bring up something, and they will, yeah. that is what I call a window in. So if a client says, um, you know, I really wanted to do all those things we talked about last week, and I had all these good intentions, and I really felt you know, good about what I was going to do at the meal, but I sat down and looked at the pizza, and all of a sudden, a part of me just kind of freaked out, and I couldn't do it. Mm -hmm. then that would be a natural inclination to say, so there's a part of you that agreed with me in session that you want to get better, you want to eat the pizza, but there's another part that just sort of takes over in the moment and says, oh no, no, you don't. Mm -hmm. That's what I call the healthy self and the eating disorder self. Mm -hmm. Or if someone says, um, you know, I tell myself I'm going to stop binging and then I find myself at the refrigerator binging at night. I say, isn't that interesting? Because you tell yourself when you say that I tell myself, there's a part of you doing the telling and a part of you doing the listening, you know? <laughs> so yeah. you tell yourself, what does yourself, that part you're talking to say back? So usually I wait for a window in, but the concept is that we're all born with this healthy core self inside. And for a variety of reasons, um, and we can talk about those, but a lot of different vulnerabilities and risk factors, over time, some people develop what I call an eating disorder self. Mm. And what I mean by that is, it has a whole different way of thinking and acting and behaving that is different, it's kind of split off because it's different from what the person would do if they were treating their best friend or if they were watching a, a, a nine-year-old kid, you know, babysitting. They would never talk to them, tell them the things, you know, have them eat the way they eat. And so generally I can bring it out in people by saying, look, you know, there's a part of you that either knows better or knows that you would like to do it differently or would tell a nine-year-old child differently, but you're not telling that yourself. Mm -hmm. And so the goal here is to strengthen your healthy self, strengthen it back because that's the part of you that's gonna heal the eating disorder self. Yes, I will often say to clients when they're saying, you know, but it works and it, it makes me feel better. And, you know, it, is it so bad if it makes me feel better? And I say, well, you know, I'm not going to take away from you that that's how it feels for sure. But in all the times that you've had loved ones come to you and say, oh my God, I've had a terrible day. You know, I feel so anxious and I just feel so uncomfortable. Or if they even say, I don't like my body and I want to change it. And if I could just change it, I'd be happy. How many times have you responded with, I have the best idea is all these eating disorder babies you could use. And they're like, no, absolutely not. But when they come across things like skill sets or a movie or a book that they've loved, you tell your loved ones about it. You want them to enjoy it and benefit from it. Why is this the one thing you're so convinced it works for you, but you don't recommend it to other yeah. people. So there's the, yeah. there's the disconnect. So what's the gap? Why for you, but not for anyone else? And, and, and that's the real work, right? Mm. Is why can you bring it out for other people, but not for yourself? Mm. And I think it's important to make the difference between um, externalization, because a lot of people, when they first hear me talking about eating disorder, self, healthy self, think that I'm doing externalization. And the difference is when you externalize something, you say it's outside of you mm -hmm. and you talk to the eating disorder. You don't say, I have an eating disorder self that's a part of me. Mm. And the reason I think that's important is that I've seen clients who came with a background of having done some externalization work. And I, and I understand it and trying to separate you know, from the illness. I understand it. I think there's some good aspects to it. The real problem, I think, is, um, well, there's two. The first one is that people will start to say things like, my eating disorder made me do it. Yep. It's like, where's the locus of control here? Where's mm -hmm. the responsibility? And I always rephrase that and say, no, a part of you made you do it. Mm -hmm. And you can get back control over that part. When you say my eating disorder made me do it, what is that some alien entity <laughs> that landed from outer space? It's not. This has been grown and developed inside of you. When, also when someone says, well, it's more powerful than I am. With my philosophy, I mean, I can say it can't, can't possibly be more powerful than you are because 
you give it its power. Mm-hmm. So you, you the, the ultimately, and then the, the last thing I want to point out is that ultimately um, in ex- externalization, you're trying to get rid of it. Yes. You know, you're bad, you've um, ruined my life. And in, in this philosophy, it's more you integrate back into a whole person. You get rid of the eating disorder behaviors, of course, you're trying to get rid of the behaviors. But what you do with this part of yourself that developed the need for the behaviors, you want to learn from it. You want to have a relationship with it. Mm-hmm. You want it to integrate back so you're not two split off parts anymore. You're one whole self. And that part of you that used to have the eating disorder behaviors is still there as an alarm system or a signal when things need to be attended to or you need to pay attention to something. Yes, that's why I love, that's one of the activities I love doing with clients is the traits as assets or liabilities because the traits help you to sort of be able to identify those red flags that if you do have a you know more anxious temperament or you are prone to black and white thinking or perfectionism or then you can kind of be on the lookout for the traits before they spiral into something that's out of control or being used for negative outcomes. Yeah. Because like, for example, the trait of uh, perfectionism is your healthy self using that and having it so that, you know, you, um, you know, clean your house or that you do well on a test or is your eating disorder self using that trait and having it be that you want to have, you know, uh, the, perfect, no fat calories, Mm -hmm. you know, in your diet, or you know what I mean, you want to run farther today than you did yesterday. So yeah, our temperament can be mitigated, you know, we can get a little bit better at our trait, perfectionistic traits, for example, but it doesn't really go away. So we have to learn how do we best use our traits for the good, Mm. you know? Yeah. The traits are not the problem. It's how they're being used and being able to make sure it's sort of like, I still have a critical self as you know, we all do not an eating disorder self. So I still use healthy self. I still have to be on the lookout for my patterns of thinking or uh, certain habits that I have, or I'm I'm not great at help seeking. So as soon as I get that inclination to isolate and not seek help, I go red flag. Now I have to seek help. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, people tell me all the time that this concept eating disorder, self, healthy self can be, um, extrapolated into all kinds of other things in life. Absolutely. It is a life skill and it is, you know, it's because so much of what people fear about recovering is that the world is scary and the world can't be controlled. So I can control all this stuff and have my rigidities and routines. And even if it's horrible, it's predictable. The world is unpredictable. Yeah. And you know, you're not in control, the eating disorder is in control, but no, you can't control the world. The only thing you can control is what it's like to live up here. And that's going to go beyond your eating disorder. It's that's being able to manage and navigate. I said to you, I remember I sent you an email uh, late last year, obviously, like I'd lost dad, then I, there were bushfires and then lost gran. And it was just this seven months of just disaster, (laughs) literal natural disaster in some way. And I remember I said to you, um, you know, these skills have carried me through this time, everything I learned in my recovery. And I know without a doubt that I'm fully recovered because if all of this hasn't knocked me down, then nothing possibly could. But it was also, it's not just I'm fully recovered and that's the end of my self-development. It was what helped me recover also keeps me healthy and sane and strong. And this, how I talk to myself and monitoring what it's like up here is without a doubt the best life skill I think I've ever adopted. That's nice to know. Yeah, yeah. It helps me too. I mean, I always ask myself, just like I ask my clients, what are you telling yourself? Yeah. Because that's what happens. We tell ourselves things, you know, and I, I think it's empowering to really realize that the battle is between you and you. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, you need help and, and guidance and everything to make that healthy self stronger but knowing that it's in within you and you, it's not, and I, and I always tell people, no one else is going to take this away from you. You know, only you are going to be able to do it. But the good news is you can, we just need to strengthen that healthy self. And then the book of course has all kinds of things from, from a simple thing like 
write some statements down that your eating disorder self tells you, like you can't eat that or you can't eat anything after it gets dark or mm -hmm. you have to purge everything you eat if it's over a certain amount of calories or whatever the thought is, mm -hmm. and then write back to it. What would you say back? And if the person says, I don't know, because a lot of times they're kind of, you know, deer in the yeah. headlights when I first say that. Yeah. What would you say to somebody else mm -hmm. who said that? What would you say to somebody else who says, you know, I can't eat um, after dark, you know? It's interesting because rarely, rarely, rarely do I have someone that can't come up with a healthy self-statement. Sometimes people need a little help and encouragement to get them going. But once they realize um, what I'm talking about and how mm -hmm. they can do it. And I had the weirdest exchange today yeah. where a coach actually sent me this thing and said, what if I have a client, she has anorexia nervosa and she says, um, and she wants to purge when she eats, I, I, let's say it was ice cream. I don't remember what it was. Mm -hmm. And I asked her, well, what would you tell um, a, a little nine-year-old girl if she said she wanted to purge when she ate ice cream? And she said, I don't know what to do because my client said I'd tell her to purge it. So, you know what I said? Two important things. The first one is I'd tell her I don't believe her. Yes. Because I don't <laughs> exactly really, what I thought. Yeah. Sometimes people do that just yep. because they don't want to get trapped. Mm -hmm. They can almost feel that they're yep. trapped in something and they don't want to get trapped. And I said, I would tell her I don't believe her. I don't believe she'd tell a nine year old girl to purge if she had ice cream. But if she insists that she really would tell her, then this has gone beyond a coaching client. This mm -hmm. is someone who's pretty distressed. Yes. And if she's telling nine-year-olds to throw up their ice cream, so she probably needs a higher level of care. And I really, I, I mean, really, I, I, that's twice in how many years I've been doing this, 40-some years I've been doing this work. Usually people will find that healthy self in there and 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 you can help them though you know you can do dialogues coaches can do dialogues with them or therapist or or whoever to get it stronger and stronger yeah yeah i think that it is confronting for people i i warn people that this is going to be uncomfortable it's it's you know it's cognitive dissonance it's you know you've got one one uh, fact or thought in your head and two completely different belief systems around it that contradict each other uh, I often say it's like you think you're living alone and then suddenly someone tells you you've had a roommate the whole time and you guys have to figure out how to live together. Um, and the other roommate is, you know, not a great roommate. Um, and you've suddenly got to cohabitate and, and you've got to uh, discuss things. And, and if you, a decision's got to be made, then you now have to have a conversation about it. Um, and that's really uncomfortable for people. And I've had, I haven't had that level of resistance, but I have had, where I know they're saying something because like you said, they're getting trapped because there's clearly an instinct. They're going, if I do this, I'm going to prove eating disorder wrong. And then I have to do the yeah. thing I don't want to do. You can almost see the wheels turning. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> like, don't go there. Don't make me do this. Um, but like you said, it's, it's about readiness as well. And just where people are sometimes it's different things at different times for different people. It just might be, they're not quite ready to go there yet. And, you know, generally what you'll find is that people with anorexia nervosa are the least likely to grab onto the concept right away yep. because they feel like, what are you taking away? And this is just me and this is who I am, you mm -hmm. know? And whereas you find people with bulimia or binge eating disorder are much more like, oh yeah, I got this monster part that takes over. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yep. They're motivated to change those behaviors and get rid of that monster part, you know? Mm -hmm. I go, oh yeah, that's what we call the eating disorder. So, um, but it just has monstrous behaviors. It's actually trying to do something adaptive, yep. you know? It's yep. trying to, to sort out something here. And so for people with anorexia, you know, that's when I, that's more so I use a lot the, what would you do with a kid or what would you tell somebody else or what would you have, um, what would you have me eat, you know, which is a great one to use, yeah. uh, you know. What would you um, serve me when they're like, how many chips am I meant to have? I'm like, well, what if I asked you to give me some chips? And they're like, oh no, I wouldn't give you what I give myself. Yeah. And why not? And then yeah. always comes the question of why not? 
Yeah. And, and just knowing that, you know, once you were a whole person and over time you develop this split off sort of ego state, it's not a whole other personality. It's an ego state. We're not saying you're dissociative or schizophrenic mm -hmm. or anything, mm -hmm. um, but it's, it's sort of split off. And what happens, what's interesting about integration is, and you've probably noticed this working with clients, there's no, um, specific thing we do to, to integrate. It's as the healthy self gets stronger and stronger, the eating disorder self fades mm -hmm. because the healthy part of you is just kind of living its life and saying, no, I don't want to do that or choosing something off the menu without reading the calories or whatever. And over time, it's almost like you look and go, oh, that part's not talking to me anymore. Mm -hmm. It's faded. Once it becomes unnecessary, it dissolves back into your core self and then you're just a whole person again so there's no like integration ceremony or the day you were integrated amputation of eating disorder <laughs> yeah 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 because i think that i think people yeah. would like that i yeah. think people would like that you know let me just you know can't i just you know amputate it but you know what happens in treatment centers all too often is they're just so focused on the behaviors like getting the person to gain the weight or whatever and there's no internal shift the healthy yeah. self has not gotten any stronger in fact you know the eating disorder self is like oh i'll show you you can put this weight on in treatment i'll get out of here and i'm gonna just take things back into my own hands so you constantly have to be looking for that and yeah. you constantly have to be working on goals where you're really collaborating with the client who who's a very involved in the process. Yeah. And I think that's why I love your approach. And, you know, I was running a workshop a couple of weeks ago with someone who's been in and out of treatment since, you know, they were seven and they've had their eating disorder for about uh, 40 years now. And she said, this is the first time I've come across a compassionate approach where it wasn't you versus us it was you with the healthy self you know and responding yeah. to the eating disorder self yeah. and empowering us and showing because you know i could sense with this person there was resistance where it was oh this isn't going to work like everything else hasn't worked and oh, exactly. you can't make me and i just start from not only well will i not make you i can't make you so if this looks like something you want to try great i'm here but there's nothing i can do i can like you said you can get people to put the weight on you can you know stop them from using behaviors for a period of time but that just takes the onus off them it disempowers them it's just well i mean what i what i it's so sad isn't it yeah. that's so sad that that's still happening and you know, if you don't have collaboration, I think you don't really have anything, yeah. you know, you have compliance, you don't have commitment, a commitment to change, you just have compliance under that monitoring or supervision or whatever, whatever you want to call it, you know, yeah. and um, I don't, it doesn't have to be like that. I mean, to me, you know, it's, it's aligning with the person and setting small goals that they can tolerate it is a compassionate thing and it is a, you know, you get to have this thing if you really want it. I'm going to show you another side. I'm going to show you a way to get that part of you back in control that you would show to anyone else, you know? Yeah. And I think sometimes, um, I'm, I'm, I, I don't know if I did this with you or you've seen me do this, but, uh, a lot of times I'm talking to coaches or therapists about, you don't even have to use those words, healthy self, eating disorder self. In fact, um, a lot of times new coaches or new therapists start overusing it or parents who I teach this concept to will start overusing it. Well, your eating disorder self, just that, or your eating disorder, your healthy self. I think it's important to sometimes just to say, hey, part of you wants to stop and part of you doesn't. Mm. Because if you use the term too much, it starts sounding a little too you know, too much like jargon and yeah. too removing. Yeah. So sometimes I just say, look, there's a part of you. What about the part of you that came into my office and said you wanted to stop binging? Mm -hmm. Then last night you were binging again. Let's talk about, you know, the battle is those two parts. We better get them talking to each other. Yeah. You know? Yeah. They got to be in the same room at the same time. <laughs> Which is what all those assignments are about, you yes. know? Yeah. So this concept that because i've heard you talk about this obviously in our last chat we touched on the fact that you know you didn't go to treatment you didn't have a therapist you didn't have someone providing this framework and these skills for you but this is something 
that you did or that you tapped into that it was you versus you. How did that, given you didn't have a framework, you didn't have a workbook, you didn't have someone explaining this to you. How did you figure out this was the way to go? Well, I remember exactly when it started. Yeah. I, I remember it. And I've told this story a few times. I was in college and I was pretty bad, you know, with my anorexia. And it, it just kind of got worse my first couple of years of college. And um, I was on my way to a Christmas party. And I was in the car and I was saying to myself, because uh, I, I, I heard, um, well, this, this is what I said. You know, when you get to the party, you're not going to have any cookies, any candy. You're not going to have anything. Just don't have it. And then, strangely enough, another part of me, voice, whatever you want to call it, said, you know, that's easy for you. You can just go in there and not have it. What would really show you have self-discipline is to go in and have a cookie. And then immediately I went, uh oh, you're just trying to give me excuse to eat cookies. You're just trying to get me to eat cookies. And all of a sudden, I'm having this full-on dialogue with myself <laughs> in a car with my friends who have no idea this is going on. Yeah. And I realized, oh my God, I have developed these two parts of myself and they both have a different way of viewing the world and blah, blah, blah. So I started exploring that just in my own self, you know, and I started doing a lot of um, reading and took some courses, and, and this is going to sound weird in the beginning, on, on Buddhism, you know, and I was taking a lot of philosophy, and I, I wanted to learn this thing between the ego, chattering mind, and your core, you know, soul self. Yeah, the wise exact- um, mind. Yes, mm. which isn't exactly the same thing as eating disorder self, healthy self, but it did help me see about separating yourself from this chatter Mm. and that you are not the chatter you're not your thoughts and feelings you're this inner essence underneath Mm. so that combined with me having this dialogue with myself it wasn't till years later I became a, a high school teacher for a while and then I started a private practice and it was it was in my private practice when I got my first few referrals for people with eating disorders because they were people in my city were like, you know, this girl has that thing you had. So will you see her, you know? <laughs> and I just started talking about this concept, you know, are you telling, what are you telling yourself? What do you hear yourself? Write down, what do you say? What are you thinking right before you binge? For example, what do you, what do you want to say? What do you, and it's interesting because the reason that I want people to do that is I want them to have access to the part of them that's binging. Because someone who comes in your office or you're having session with who's saying, you know, I hate binging and I just feel really uncomfortable. I'm out of control with food. And then they do it the next night. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I feel like it, it's so obvious to me to say, so there's these two parts, you know. One, there's something about you that wants to binge. I remember <laughs> saying that to a client so many years ago and her saying you know basically feeling upset with me like how dare you say i i like to binge or i want something out of it or a part of me wants it and i was like well i mean we don't continue to do things that a part of us is you know yeah so having the person write write down all your thoughts before a binge if nothing else they're getting in touch with that eating disorder self that Mm -hmm. they really are not talking to any other parts of the day so if you write all your thoughts and feelings down, bring it into me. And here's this raging voice. I'm going to eat whatever I want. And I'm going to have this and this and this. And nobody can stop me. And I go, wow, she never came to session. <laughs> Who's this <You> person? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, what, and the next step is, what do you want to say to her? Because yeah. she, she wants to go for it. What do you want to say to her? Because that's a part of you. Mm. And I just, I, I mean, to me, I think the work is, um, makes people really feel like, okay, I, I can begin to grasp and then I get further. Well, you saw the stages, you know, the, all the stages of being recovered or first you, you know, you don't quite even know you have these two selves or you might know, but you don't pay much attention to it. And then you start realizing that you can have dialogue and have communication between these parts then you start doing things to strengthen the healthy self and 
it's not always winning, you know? The battles are sometimes pretty ferocious, as you know. Yeah. People going back and forth. And then the healthy self will start to get stronger. And then there comes a point, and this is a very important point, where the healthy self is pretty strong. It's holding you back from doing the symptoms. You can talk yourself out of it. But a lot of people think that's the end. In fact, a lot of treatment providers, insurance companies here in the U.S., you know, it's like, okay, well, you're not engaging in the symptoms, you know, okay, you're okay. good. Yeah. And that's when the person's like, but every day I'm thinking about it. Mm -hmm. I don't like my body. I'm troubled by the weight. I might not be engaging in the symptoms, but if I have to stay like this, hypervigilant, constantly on guard. It's such a bad deal. Like I yeah. told you that happened to me three years in and I was yeah. like, this sucks. I don't want to do this forever. Not worth it. No, it's exhausting. So I think we have a responsibility when we learn about these steps and everything to tell people, look, you're going to get to this place where you maybe other people think that you're well, and you probably think you should be because you don't have the behaviors. That's not it. It, it goes past that part past that till then you don't have the desires anymore you don't have the conflict you're not white knuckling it one day at a time like they say all the time in aa you know yeah. in the 12 step you know one day at a time and i just don't feel do you feel like you have to recover one day at a time no i did i and it almost sent me back over the edge because i had i'd been told by my wonderful psychologist who you know helped to save my life in so many ways but I was told it, it's forever. You're going to be doing this forever. That's what they think. That's and because I'm a perfectionist, I was like, well, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to really do it. So I went full steam yeah. and I was burnt out. I was exhausted. And it, all my family were, it's almost been three years. This is amazing. And I was like, is it? I'm kind of, I don't yeah. feel that great about it. I don't feel like right. celebrating because I'm so exhausted. And this just seems like a really bad deal. That's when I found you. That was the first I'd heard full recovery because I made a video about it and people were saying no full recovery is possible have you heard of this have you seen this and I'd never heard of it and I think I'd probably at ah. that point been fully recovered for probably about 12 months and still white knuckling it in a performative way because that's what I thought I had to do yeah it's so sad I'm, yeah. and I'm so grateful that you kind of spread the word about it you know mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's a lot of people are listening and, and hearing and realizing that it, it's, it's, it, it actually is possible. Mm -hmm. And I think it's sad when people get to that point and feel like if this is what recovery is, it, it just feels too bad. Yeah. So I'm always telling people, I wouldn't do this work if I thought that's what it was. I wouldn't yeah. set everybody up to get to this place where you have like half a life, yeah. you know, yeah, you're, yeah, yeah. You're still miserable. Yeah. But a lot of people, because of the genetics, you know, that's one of the reasons why they say, you know, you have this illness that you have to manage the rest of your life. Part of it is because since there's some genetic predisposition that we've discovered for certain of these illnesses. But what what I think is so silly about that is, you know, my genes are the same, you know, your genetics, just like those traits we talked about earlier, the genetics stay the same, but the eating disorder is gone. It doesn't mean that I recovered from my genetic vulnerabilities. You know, I tend to be the anxious type and the thing, like we were talking about earlier, you still have your traits and you learn how to work with them and use them to your advantage but you can be recovered from an eating disorder and it's just so important to yeah and i think it that. what i love about the dialoguing skill and the healthy self concept is it's it's that it teaches you that your point of intervention is a lot earlier than you know even getting to an eating disorder thought right that yeah. i love breaking it down for people in that event thought feeling urge action chain because they're trying to intervene at action stage and you're like yeah. you are trying to push back an army by that point it is you alone trying to push everything back versus when an event comes up your, your boss is awful to you or you know somebody gets sick you know you have a tendency to react to that in a way which might not be very helpful so you kind of intervene a bit earlier you have ways of yeah. coping managing and addressing the stuff right when it comes up rather than all of it getting out of control and then ending up with something chronic where you know you're just trying to hold it together you kind of you're more aware of yourself you're not and i tell people you know not to despair about that in the beginning because sometimes they'll say 
I don't know. I didn't even know it was coming. And then I found myself, you know, wanting to binge and purge. And I yeah. say, you will. Yeah. The more you pay attention to this first, you can start doing something like if you can't write, let's just take a binge. If you can't write before the binge, write afterwards. Yes. Immediately afterwards. Then I want to start getting you to be able to do it before. Yeah. Then I want you to be able to do it. What was happening about the hour when you had these rumblings and you're thinking about going to the store? And Planning. pretty soon you'll be able to find that you'll get aware of yourself and aware of your feelings in a way that you're not really aware of now, you know? Yeah. Earlier points of intervention, because I'll have clients, in fact, on this uh, workshop that I was just doing this morning, somebody said, you know, uh, I just get to the point where eating disorder wins and I do it. And then it's like, well, you know, that's it. And I'm like, so what do you do the next time it comes up? And they're like, well, well, then I try again. I'm like, but you don't have any you don't have any clues. You don't, if, if you, if you experience it and it, and it, and eating disorder wins and you do the thing and then you dialogue, it's going to come back around again. These thoughts are cyclical. The patterns are cyclical. Right. So you're That's either right. more prepared or less yeah. prepared the next time it happens. Which one do you want to be? <laughs> Cause it's always going to follow the same pattern. It's going to say the same stuff. It's going to have the same feelings. So as you said, you just become better at dragging that earlier and earlier in the process because i'll say to clients when they say oh i got to binge and i tried to i tried to dialogue and i couldn't and for me because i you know would i had anorexia binge purge subtype so my binges would have started days before in terms of the planning process so yeah. i'm now days into this right. thought process and some people yeah a lot of people are like that yeah and then i meant to intervene after days and days of this build-up it's just not necessarily so hard. exactly. So if I can get it a couple of days earlier and then earlier and earlier and earlier, and then know all my patterns, I'm less likely to sort of end up in that same action stage each time. I think we have to work at um, trying to help people not feel like, cause you know, because there are assignments and because there are these terms, eating disorder, self, healthy self, it, be, it can begin to seem a little, and I hate this word, but you know, a gimmicky thing. Mm -hmm. It can begin to seem like, oh, this is homework and it's not going to work for me. You know, I tried journaling and it doesn't work for me. Mm -hmm. I can't tell you how many people say that. And I, I, know. Say, I was one of those people. <laughs> I didn't I think say, it worked. This is not yeah. normal journaling. I'm not just saying go journal your feelings. Yeah, this is diary. a very specific task where you are not in touch with your eating disorder self at all. You're not in touch with it. And the only way to begin to even have a dialogue with it or to get it under control again is to be in touch with it, to recognize it, to perceive it, to, you know. So the first thing is we have to make you aware of it. And part of being aware of it is just tell me what it says. Yeah. Just tell me what that part of you says. Tell me all the thoughts and feelings you have about, you know, you, even if it's how much you hate your body or all the things. I just let them, people just get it out, whatever it is that they say. They're often afraid to say everything that they think also because um and that's really sad too because how do you get treated for something when you feel like you have to repress it and hide it you know oh i don't want to tell that i'm thinking all those things like i'm eating this supplement right now and i'm just figuring out a way how am i going to get rid of it whereas for me most of the time, I can't say all the time, but the clients learn, they can tell me because yeah. I'm not using force to make them do anything. You know, even when I ran residential treatment the, to move up the levels, I mean, there was no, there was no, um, it was sort of like a reward system in the sense that you got more freedoms and more responsibility, the more your healthy self was in control, but that just makes sense. Yeah. You know, like, what I would say to people is, look, as soon as I know that your healthy self is, is giving it a good go and giving it a, 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 at least, you know, 50-50, then you can come in the kitchen and start portioning your own food, you know, mm -hmm. for example. Or you can start, if your healthy self is really taking control and really dialoguing and really talking back to the eating disorder, you can start making your own meals. Mm -hmm. You can start doing more exercise. You can go out to a restaurant and have a pass. But why would I put you in that position if your eating disorder self was totally in control, like the day you walked in here, why would I go put you in a position where it just gets to, you know, wreak havoc with you? Mm -hmm. 
So it, it made sense to them, you know, yeah. Yeah. it made, it made it, they could see um, the logic behind it. Yeah. It's not punishment. It's logic. Yeah. Yeah. I really had a problem with places that would, you know, you don't eat your meal and then you don't go, get to go to the movie outing. I That's know. punishment. Yes. That's punishment and it, it's controlling and it just makes people feel bad and it brings the us against them feature. Yeah. And, uh, and it's not a logical consequence. A logical consequence is more like, you know, if you don't eat your meal, then you can't go work out with the fitness trainer with everybody else because you haven't got the calories in. Yeah. You know? It's not safe. So I, I, I always tried to make it be, you know, a logical progressive consequence consequence kind of thing yeah and because obviously your approach is the compassionate approach um and you know there are those programs which are more punitive what because i've seen it i've had clients come to me where there's just no trust there's just such a reluctance to trust and there's such a reluctance to kind of take ownership of their recovery where this is more of an empowering like this is me and your healthy self working together um, so have you seen that, that it's hard to get people to trust and to open up and to take this on purely because they've been in a sort of cycle of treatment where it's us oh, yeah. versus you? Yeah. When I was running Montanita, there were so many times where we would be ready to do an admission of a new client and I would see the treatment history and I would say, oh, here we go. Mm -hmm. Because someone who's had so much treatment has been in this thing where like I was saying before, the internal shift hasn't happened. It's almost, you know, it's, it's just so hard on them because they feel like, here's what it's like. When I was on my own, it's eating disorder rules that I have to follow. When I'm in treatment, now I'm following treatment rules. Mm. And I always say to people, what about your rules? Yeah. <laughs> That's what we need to grow here. That's yeah. what we're strengthening because I don't want you when you're in treatment, just following the treatment rules. Because when you go back home, you're not going to follow those rules. So now you go back to what? The eating disorder rules. Mm. You know, when people want to have their life, it's some kind of semblance of order or whatever. Yeah. And um, so it's really about helping people establish what do you want and how can we best help you to achieve it? Mm. And that's going to be helping you one, agree to these goals, even if they're slow, very slow progress goals. And two, you being able to be the one to um, talk to that part of yourself. To, I, I will often, when a client says, I did this and this, and uh, what do you, or they're waiting, what do you think? And I always want to say, what do you think? Yes. What would you <laughs> say about that? Something about that? Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, so many times we want to just jump in and tell people, you know, this and that, and we know a lot, and especially if you've treated people for so long, and after 40 years, you know, I still have to sit back and say, you know, if I tell you what I'm thinking, your healthy self doesn't have a chance to practice, mm -hmm. so you go first. Mm. <laughs> yeah, well, especially when they first start reaching out to you, like between sessions, and they're like, and this happened, yeah. and this happened, what do I do? And they yeah, get to the point exactly. where they where they like I don't want to text you because you're just going to tell me to do a dialogue or to do this or what do I think what would I tell someone else how would I yeah. soothe and distract somebody else and I'm like great do that still reach out to me but yeah. tell me what you have to say and then I can kind of help you if you get stuck or you know you're trying something and, it and just they do get stuck so yeah. we we do have to help them I mean yeah. our role is still. Uh, uh, I mean, super important, this mm -hmm. support role, therapist role, coaching role, it, because they also, I think, need someone to be accountable to. Yeah. Like, look, I'm having this dialogue, or I always like to notice where people get stuck, because yes. then we can spend some time yeah. working on that stuck place. Well, oh, I don't have an answer when my eating disorder self says that, mm. you know? Okay, well, let's come up with some answers, mm. ones that you believe in, not some BS thing you're just making up, but, yes. you know, something yeah. you believe in. Because sometimes people think that I just want them to come up with something, just anything, something and they good. say, yeah. yeah, and that doesn't work. No. And I always say, no, I'm not buying it. Mm. I, it, it. Even if it's a tiny little bit and you can't muster out a lot, I want it to be something you feel is true. You would tell somebody else mm. and, and, and stick behind that because it's the truth. Yeah. I think one of the most powerful things, you know, there was, uh, 
that moment in the training where you were talking about truth without judgment. And I, I remember I was cooking. I went back and I rewound it about five times because I was like, that, it, that makes so much sense to me about what this role is and also what yeah. the healthy self's role is. Yeah. So I was talking to someone recently who was saying, you know, I say this and I, um, and it's powerful. And, and I, and I go back and I try to say something as powerful as the eating disorder self or something as knowledgeable. And I'm like, well, that's not the job of the healthy self. The whole job of the healthy self is to tell the truth. Yeah. And if it doesn't know, it's okay to say it doesn't know. If you, yeah. if you don't know what's going to happen to you in recovery and it's scary, say that it's scary, say that you're scared, say that you're unsure, and then try to figure out what would I say to someone else who is scared and anxious? How would I take care of someone else who is experiencing this? I don't, you don't have to have all the answers. You need to be honest. Yeah, sometimes I tell them, look, just even have the healthy self say, wow, I better talk to Carolyn about this one. Yeah. You know, I mean, <laughs> even if it just says that, it's yeah. saying something and it's getting the last word. I always say when you do dialogues, never let the eating disorder self have the last word. Yeah. Don't ever end with that part of you, you know, being able to say the last thing. Yeah. Like I'll have clients who say, I'll read a dialogue and I just, I, you just know where they're getting stuck. Cause it said, I, there's nothing wrong with my body and I love my body and I don't need to change it. And I just wrote back and highlighted, do you believe this? And they wrote right. back, no. And I said, well, that's, that's where you don't you, use it. Then eating disorder self has stuff got you. you because you think you're supposed to say it yeah. or you think it's some treatment thing or you think it's going to make me happy. Yeah. Yeah. Don't make it flexible. That. Say I have, I have evidence to say other people can be tolerant of their body image and get through this process. And I'm learning yeah. to believe that for myself. I'm, I, I'm Maybe you'll get there and maybe that will be your truth. But if it's not, yeah, I'm so glad you get that. It's a part that slips up a little bit when people are, trying to teach others how to do this mm -hmm. sometimes that gets a little fuzzy because the person wants to write all these things and you look at it or alternatively when um the healthy self is really mean mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. and it's more a parental you got to get your shit together you know <laughs> you got to do this and this and this and that's not the way to act and i went wow you know do you think if I talked to my clients like that, they'd stay around, mm -hmm. you know? So a lot of times we have to be, that's how we can be guides and helping them step back and say, now, what would you really say? Mm -hmm. you know? And my favorite part of the process is when initially they're referring to the healthy self as the other self. And they're saying, well, I would say yeah. to the healthy self. And then the switch happens where they're, the I is the healthy self and the other right. self is the eating disorder self. And you're like, this is and it happens. the you wiring. Can is in yeah. There. yeah. Yeah. I had a client go like this, this one's about this, yeah. you know, and then it's shifted and it's back, you know, yeah. it's so yeah. funny. Yeah. And it's not, it, it's so simple really, isn't it? it it's it, there's a lot of complexities to helping people to get there and helping people to strengthen it. And it can go slowly that's okay, step mm. by step. Mm. But really, in, in so many ways, there's a simplicity about the concept. And I always say, if there was only one thing I could yeah. teach people, if I went in and there's a group of people and they had an eating disorder and they needed help, that's the one thing mm. I would try to teach people because I think it's empowering. Yeah. And like like you've already said, it's a it's a life skill. So when I say to people, you know, when they get a bit like, really, all this work for recovery? And I say, it goes, there are skills you will develop here yeah. that you will use forever. I remember I was about 28. So this was about five years ago and I was a couple of years into recovery. And my mom said to me at the time, she said, you have learned things in three years, pushed to the wall and forced to, but you know, you have learned things because yeah. it was an absolute necessity that you did it, that it has taken me decades to learn. There are yeah. just things that you have to... I feel the same way. Yeah, you have to really look at yourself and really examine yourself and really examine how you think and behave and react in your relationships and boundaries. And, you know, some people go their whole lives never doing that, unfortunately. <laughs> I know. I mean, um, that's why some people don't get a little um, uncomfortable when I say this, but then I think my explanation is pretty good when I say that anorexia was my greatest teacher. Mm -hmm. 
because so many lessons had to be learned. I mean, included my, including my whole connection with my soul and my soul self and my, my journey into that part of the world, trying to understand who was this talking, chattering mind and all that. Mm. And then so many other things. And um, there's, a, there's some books I really like, and I, I talk about this. Um, Thomas More wrote these books, Care of the Soul, the reenchantment of everyday life. And then this one called Dark Nights of the Soul. And in Dark Nights of the Soul, he talks about, you know, that when you have something like a major illness or, or, or even a car accident or the loss of a loved one or whatever, that there is this, um, there's the opportunity, you wouldn't wish it on anybody, but there's the opportunity to sift through it for the gold you will find there. Mm. And that's what I think, that's what I think you were talking about. And that's certainly how I feel. And, and I think we both know a lot of people who are recovered, who feel the same way. They're, they're stronger in the places that used to be broken, you know? Mm. Absolutely. Beautifully put. Thank you so much for this chat. I know that people are going to get so much out of it because, and it's such a good thing for me to be able to point clients towards and to get, you know, that deeper explanation uh, of where it came from and, and, and why it's so important. And especially the lived experience component, I think changes things for people to say, this isn't something that just, you know, somebody learned out of a textbook. This is something that you know, people who have been through it have used and it's been a game changer for them. So they know more than just from observing, yeah. but going through it themselves. There is a reason I'm asking you to do this. Like the video with Monica, where she yeah. said, you right. made me do this every day and I didn't get it until I got it. So there's so much purpose. to Yeah. This I loved, I love that she said that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's very honest chat. Um, but well, yeah. thank you for doing these, you know, like I'm, you're you're in the generation where all this zooming and podcasting and all this stuff is comes a lot more natural for you than me so of course i don't have a uh, a, a thing a, a a format or whatever but i love participating so i i appreciate that you have me on of course the door is always open thank you so much carolyn well figure out something down the road to talk yeah. about because we, we are neither of us are at a loss for words ever. <laughs> That's so true that is so true thank you so much okay thank you